Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hi. <clears throat> uh, you know, when kids are little, uh, it's interesting that people always go up to them and they try to figure out what parent they're going to look like. And this is really fascinating, especially when kids are babies, because they change so quickly and that people say, you know, oh, you're going to look like mom or you're going to look like dad. Uh, and then when you get older, you know, they really begin to take on different features of their parents. Uh, and then there's like a split crowd. Uh, I remember, uh, or I should say, even right now, there are some people who say that I look just like my mother. Uh, and then there are those who say that I am a spitting image of my father. Uh, now, luckily, I've been blessed with good-looking parents, so that's not really a problem. <laughs> but... <laughs> Also, when it comes to kids, there is this, uh, there's this understanding that kids relate to their parents and how they behave. Uh, and that is true in my family as well. Uh, for example, when it comes to math, my brother and my mother are really good at it. Uh, it comes naturally to them, you might say. They can open up a math book and they understand it from a very early age. My brother was able to pick up formulas and things like that just like my mom could. My dad and I, on the other hand, well, we have to work a little bit harder. We have to study more. We have to spend time learning the formulas and where the numbers go. Uh, and this remains true for me today. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can ask Lauren what it's like when we sit down to budget. But this behavioral thing, uh, I realize that in more ways I'm also like my dad. Uh, see. One of the things my dad used to say when I was a kid, a reason that we were similar is he used to say that I was slick. Now as a kid, you know, I thought, oh, cool, I'm slick. Uh, I realize now as an adult, that wasn't exactly a compliment. <laughs> but I remember uh, he, he had this famous line. Uh, he would say, you know, after I did something, he would say, hmm, you think you're slick, huh? And I remember this moment, uh, I was in third grade, and I don't know if teachers do this today, but uh, back then, you know, we, teachers would make you take your tests home, and if you did really badly, you had to get it signed by a parent and then returned. Uh, and so I didn't really like that then, uh, but teachers, I understand, you know, there's a purpose for it. So uh, I had taken a math test early in the week, and now it's Friday afternoon, and I get this math test back, and I had done really badly. And, you know, on the test it says, sign in return by Monday. And so uh, I'm wondering, oh, man, what is this going to do for my weekend? Uh, it, it also happened to be the same day of my best friend's birthday party. And he was having a sleepover. So here it is, Friday afternoon, I have this test back, and now I'm wondering, okay, what do I do? You know, if I give this test uh, to my parents today, like, they might not let me go to the sleepover. I mean, I just, I just don't know. I'm kind of stuck in this dilemma. And let me tell you, uh, man, that sleepover was awesome. Um, it was so much fun. Uh, we had pizza and played games and watched movies. Oh, my gosh. It was a great night. I woke up the next morning. Mom picked me up. And I was like, okay, you know, and my mom's mom's like, oh, what are we doing today? And uh, I don't know, what, what's going on? Oh, we're going to run some errands. So get home, look at my book bag, turn away. We go to run some errands, you know, busy day, and then go to sleep. And all of a sudden, it's Sunday morning. And of course, you know, come to church. And then after church, it's soccer. And then after soccer, it's football. And then you're just relaxing. And then it's dinner time. And, you know, I, I didn't want to ruin the weekend. So all of a sudden, it was Monday morning. And Monday morning rolls around. My dad has already gone for work. 
My mom is in the kitchen getting ready to leave for work. And five minutes before the bus comes, I run into the kitchen. Mom, 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 you have to sign this. Later that night, uh, <laughs> when I'm sitting at the kitchen table after my dad gets home from work, he walks in and he says, so you think you're slick, huh? <laughs> I did. Uh, I did think I was slick. You know, someone else pointed out earlier if I was really slick, I would have forged it. Uh, I realized that in my household, there was being slick and there was dumb, and I wasn't even that dumb. <laughs> Pointer out to all of you kids out there, don't try it. But this idea that I'd known about this test all weekend, and before presenting it to my parents, I thought, well, what, what could I possibly do? And I was like, well, I, I don't want to ruin the weekend. And so I just kept it. I put it in my book bag. I didn't even think about it. And then I waited to the last possible moment. And I hoped that my parents would forgive me. I hoped that I wouldn't get in trouble. You know, in all honesty, I, uh, I probably deserved the whooping I got later that night. But as I read our story today, that text from Luke I realized that the manager and I, we have something in common. And although our stories didn't exactly end the same way, there was one thing that was true in both of our stories. One thing that I'm reminded of. The presence of grace. Grace is always present in our lives. Grace is always undeserved. And it is the one thing that is always there. And, and so if you heard our text this morning, that might not have been clear to you. In fact, this is one of the more confusing parables of Jesus. And it's interesting because it comes right after Luke chapter 15 when Jesus tells the famous parable of the prodigal son. You know, a lot of people tend to know that one. And then we get this one. So in the prodigal son, Jesus is teaching to the Pharisees. In this parable, he's teaching to his disciples. And this parable is about a rich man and a manager. And so... Basically, someone comes to the rich man, and they say, listen, your manager, uh, he's not taking care of the things you've given him. He is being wasteful with your possessions. The rich man, obviously not happy about this, calls the manager in, and he says to him, listen, I hear you're wasting my stuff. Uh, we're done. You are no longer going to be the manager of my possessions. The manager has this brief moment, actually. Uh, it's so interesting in Scripture. In, in verses 3 and 4, Scripture says to us, And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking away from me the management position? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. This is a fascinating moment, and it's a rare moment in Scripture because it's the manager's internal conflict. Uh, it's, it's a soliloquy for those of you that are in the arts. It's this moment in which the manager is just talking to himself, and he realizes this conflict. Well, well what do I do? And he tries, I have to figure out a plan for the future. And he says, well, I'm too weak to go ahead and do manual labor, and I'm certainly too proud to go ahead and beg after being a manager. What could I possibly do? And then he makes this kind of interesting decision. Uh, what he decides is that he is going to start cutting the debts of the people who owe his master in order that when he loses his management position, they'll find favor with him. He's kind of planning ahead here. 
And so what he does is he starts calling people in one by one. The first people he calls in, he says, okay, what do you owe my master? And the, the guy says, I owe him 100 measures of oil. The manager says, all right, cut it in half, 50. We'll call it even. That's your debt. And he sends him away. Next one calls him in. He says, what do you owe my master? A hundred bushels of wheat, or a hundred measures of wheat. And the, the manager says, okay, we'll cut that to 80 measures and call it good. Uh, 20%, you know, good math there, right? And so all of a sudden, that's what this manager keeps doing. And then uh, there's this interesting moment. And I want to put this in context for you guys, because what the manager is doing, he's basically cutting these debts off. So he cuts one of the debts in half, he cuts the other one by 20%, and I want you guys to realize how much he's cutting here. So 100 measures of oil would have been roughly 875 gallons or 3,200 liters of oil, and he cuts that in half. And then uh, 100 measures of wheat is equal to about 1,000 to 1,200 bushels of wheat. So he's not just cutting out a little bit here. This isn't just a drop in the bucket. This is a lot of debt and he just pushes it away from his master he cuts it out and then he gets caught red-handed in this moment the master finds him cutting these debts in half and in verse 8 we hear what the master does in verse 8 it says the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness let's read that again the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What? I mean, uh, let's, let's just replay the facts here. Rich man finds out that the manager is doing poorly with his stuff, so he calls him in and tells him, you're done managing my stuff. The manager then decides, well, I have to do something, and so he begins to cut even more of the rich man's stuff away. Then when he gets caught, the master commends him. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that the master would commend him for his shrewdness, for his evilness, for him cutting the things of his master. And that's exactly why this story relates so well to the image of grace in our lives. Because grace is always undeserved. And grace is always present. And you know, uh, as I thought about this story, I realized that the manager took a gamble on grace. In a moment of crisis, he hoped that his master would have mercy on him in the most unlikely situation. And then I began to ask myself the question, how often... Am I like the manager? And I began to realize that perhaps the answer is too often. And, and I want to ask you all the same thing. How often are you like the manager? This would normally be one of those moments where I want people to raise their hands, but the reality is I already know the answer. The answer is yes. You have all been the manager before. See, because you have all been wasteful with the things that God has given to you. You've been wasteful with things like your money, like your body, your property, your vocation. 
your family, perhaps even your own soul. And the worst part about it is that you've gotten comfortable living this way. That's right, you have gotten comfortable living in your sin. Much like I did in my story. The moment that I decided to hide that test, I had gotten comfortable living in my sin. And you know, for us today, it's not exactly hiding a test, but rather, it's things like perhaps gossiping to other people about someone instead of talking to someone face to face. Or maybe it's mistreating the people in your life who need you the most. Or perhaps, it's something like hiding the addictions and the struggles in your life from your loved ones. All of those things become a pattern, and all of a sudden you are living comfortably in your sin. And it takes a moment of crisis. Just like the manager, it takes being caught red-handed with guilt oozing out of us, neck deep in our sin, for us to realize that we only have one choice. Repent. The manager, caught up in this crisis, in this moment, he turns back to his master and he repents. He seeks grace. And church, that is what we do as well. We fall before our master and we seek grace. And in that moment, it feels like a risk. It feels like we're gambling with grace. As we confess our sin, we're not sure what is going to happen. But God tells us. God tells us that grace is ours. And therefore, you cannot gamble away grace. You cannot even waste away grace because grace has been given to you. Grace is a gift from God. Just as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God. That is grace. A gift of from God, not something that you can simply waste away, not something that you can gamble on because it has already been given to you. And it's been given to you in the moments when you don't deserve it. This manager didn't deserve to be commended, but he was shown grace. We don't deserve to be commended. We don't deserve to be forgiven, but we are shown grace. Over and over and over again, we are shown grace. And it's only because of Jesus. That gift of grace is only ours because of Jesus. See, because here's what Jesus does. Jesus lays himself before the Father. See, when, when, when God sees us, we think that he sees our wastefulness and our sin. But instead, because of Jesus, he sees us as forgiven. And he sees us as those who need his grace. And every time, he shows us that grace. And so we do not get what we deserve, but instead, we get the undeserved gift. We get grace. And there's this beautiful image of grace in Scripture right before Jesus dies, in his last moments, as he's laying upon the cross, 
and he sees the soldiers in front of him gambling for his cloak, even in that moment, he is praying for them to receive grace. He is praying that they will seek God's mercy and receive the gift of grace. And God continuously gives that grace. Grace does not run out. Grace is abundant. It is always present in our lives, and grace is something that is always undeserved. And the words of grace come to us when God says to us, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. Because of the body and blood of Jesus, I forgive you. And church, that changes our lives. It has to change the way that we live because we already have grace. And so we live in light of the grace that is ours. And I want to give you three ways this morning to live in light of the grace that you have been given. And the first way is to be in the Word. See, if you want to find grace, if you want to search for grace, don't look at the world around you. Look at the Word of God. Because over and over and over again, you will hear about God's grace shown to the people who never deserve it. And yet over and over again, grace is there. This life-giving word, this word that is living and active, Jesus Christ, gives us grace. So be in the word to find that grace. And the second way is to come to church. Don't get me wrong. I know that Pastor Mark and I are pretty cool. But that's not why you're here. You are here to receive grace. You come back to this place to receive grace because you know of your need for grace. And when you come back here every week, you come forward. In just a few moments, we're going to do it again. And we are going to receive grace. We're going to receive the body and blood of Christ that is literally our opportunity to taste and see grace. And we receive that grace when we are in this place. And the third way is to repent. See, as Christians, we are called to live lives of daily repentance. But too often, we are like the manager in the story. Too often, it takes a moment of crisis for us to repent. But that's not what we are called to do. We are called to live lives of daily repentance, confessing our sins before our master and seeking that grace. And sometimes that is going to look like confessing the sins that you know you commit. And other times it is going to look like confessing the sins that you can't even name. But at all times and in every place, Seeking God's grace by repenting for your sins. And in this act of daily repentance, we are reminded that we can never gamble on grace. Because grace is a gift from God, given to his people. As he proclaims forgiveness to you through Jesus Christ, he forgives you of your sins, and therefore, grace abounds in your life. Right here, right now, at this very moment, grace is yours. It is God's gift to you, both now and forever.
And that church is living our best life. Living a life in light of grace. In the knowledge that grace is ours. That grace is present in our lives. And so that every time we fall before our master and we seek his mercy, he speaks those words of grace to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.